Well, hello everybody and welcome back to this week's episode of the My Love of Golf podcast. It's Roscoe here, your host, and as always, I really do appreciate you tuning in. This week we have a very special guest. Yes, it's Chandler Carr from the TaylorMade HQ over in Carlsbad. Now, Chandler has been involved intrinsically with the development of the whole host of great new products that you've seen come to market from TaylorMade. So we're going to talk to Chandler about that. And I'm going to call it more of a masterclass than an episode because he really does take us on the full journey of how these new products have come to bear. Chandler works over there with some of the great colleagues, our previous guests, Matt Bovee, Tomo Bystet, names that you've started to you know, really get a, a feel for as TaylorMade have developed wonderful products that are in your bags, but also in the bags of some of the best players in the world. And what a great time it has been for the brand in terms of their players. Well, Chandler gave us so much time and so much information, and I know that you're going to be excited to hear this episode. The new UDI, the DHY, P770, P7MC, the P7MB, been hard to miss them. They are beautiful golfing objects. So sit back, relax, enjoy this masterclass with Chandler Carr from TaylorMade HQ in Carlsbad. Really do appreciate you listening. If you like it, share it with your friends, because anyone that's going to be in the market for some TaylorMade will want to hear this episode with Chandler Carr. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time. Chandler Carr from TaylorMade HQ in Carlsbad, USA. How are you? Welcome to the My Love of Golf podcast, sir. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Ross. How are you doing? Thanks for having me. Mate, it's an absolute privilege and a pleasure to have you at a very, very important time for your brand and a very important time for you and your role with the TaylorMade team over there. As I sit here, you know, looking at uh, the Instagrams and the, and the, the, the web and the golf, you can't turn or flick or press a button without finding your brand on there somewhere with all these great new products. And that's what I want to really spend some time exploring today, if that's okay. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's that's what I'm here for. I'll, I'll talk your ear off if you let me. Um, oh. i got lots to talk about. Any question you got, let's do it. I love it. I love it. Well, Chandler, thanks for joining us, as I said. Give us uh, a little bit of an introduction to yourself, uh, your background in, in the industry, and a little bit about your role with the team over there at Carlsbad in TaylorMade HQ. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, my my journey with TaylorMade actually starts back in 2007. Um, I was a performance vehicle technician. And basically what that meant was I drove around a little mini tour van uh, for consumers. So I would drive to your country club. I would personally fit you for your clubs. And then I would build them on site. And we had this program. We had about six vans traveling the country. And uh, basically that was my job. You know, I was never home. I would just go from course to course and meet a lot of great people along the way. And then um, I did that for about six months or so, and then they actually cut the program. So the, the program just got a little bit too costly to run. Um, and I fortunate um, had the opportunity to stay within the brand, but I went to finance. So I, I went from basically being this road warrior out on the road, talking to consumers, absolutely loved it. Then. I got a job in finance of all things. I, and I don't have a finance degree. So I, I definitely don't think you want to put me back in that world ever again, but it was an interesting role where I was basically managing our, uh, our, our system data. So I was basically building clubs in the system versus building clubs with my hand. So I, I had a very intimate um, you know, relationship with how clubs are made and manufactured and the, the tools and the processes necessary to actually build clubs and I and applied that in, in a system architecture to at least, you know, get our SKUs and stuff set up in the system for us to even just continue business. So had a fortunate role, did that for a while. Uh, then I went over to operations doing kind of a morph role of the same thing. And then after that, so um, it's actually almost my five-year anniversary uh, with my current department in the product creation department. So I'm the global product manager for our product creation division. And basically what that means is I support our metalwood, iron and putter categories uh, just to make sure that we're doing the right things at, at the right time. Uh, we're getting feedback from consumers. We're getting feedback from players. And then ultimately um, steering the ship a little bit in terms of what our product looks like and feels like um, setting those uh, performance goals and targets for the people who are a lot smarter than me who sit in our R&D department and our engineers to make sure that these things don't explode when you hit them and they sound really, really good and they feel the way that our tour players want. So it's a really cool job. We're right in the middle of all of it. We're intermingled with the product really from 
every avenue and uh, people of color department that we oversee product from womb to tomb. So we, we kind of manage the, the product life cycle from conception all the way through when we have to retire it. It's been a fairly busy period for you the last couple of years, uh, I would suggest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's definitely not, um, I'm definitely not leaving early to go sneak in nine, you know, before it gets dark. There's definitely none of that going on right now. Uh, very good. So you're working closely with Tomo and Matt Bovee, correct? Yep, absolutely. Yep, those are the, the, the two main categories that I support right now and um, couldn't ask for two better guys to, to lead those categories. Well, Matt was one of the uh, previous guests on the My Love of Golf podcast. I don't know if you mentioned that, but uh, oh, it was certainly no, one. It was certainly one of the most uh, successful episodes that I've released. So I'm expecting big things from this one too, mate. Um, you talked. <laughs> you talked about you know your, your journey out there on the road, talking to customers, working with accounts. I'd imagine that that you know has helped shape the way that you understand how we as golf consumers use the product and. Does it allow you to, you know, go back to some of those accounts now and, you know, get information from them that you can put into the product creation area? Well, that's a great question. And obviously we're always looking for feedback and there's always a sense of intuition too that we have to have when we design product and when we make product that everyone's opinion matters. But at the end of the day, um, we have to do what's ultimately right for the golfer. You know, some it's a, it's a very difficult balance because you have – Maybe this segment of golfers wants a really pointed toe in their iron, or this segment of golfers wants a more rounded toe. And everyone has an opinion. Everyone has a way to, to, to put a spin on product and to ultimately make what's right for them. But when we're, when we're making millions of golf clubs, you know, you have to blend all this feedback together and not just make one thing for one person. That's very much like the tiger irons, right? You know, those are tigers irons. Those are the inputs that we got from him. And those, some people don't like the way that looks because it's very polarizing what the way the shaping is on, on those irons. But when you're making, you know, like our P770, for example, right, every facet of those clubs and all the feedback that we gather um, is very important and we, and we pay attention to all of it. So how would you gather some of that feedback? Is, is there a structured way or what are some of the tools that you use to get that feedback and go, right, here's what, here's what all the people are saying? You know, um, we work a lot with our commercial team and, and just to make sure that we work with our strategic accounts, you know, some of our biggest customers that, um, you know, they have a very good eye for these things too and well, and they know what their customers are actually shopping for. So we work with our accounts, both big and small. Who, who, are some, who would some of the, those guys be over there? Who, who are you talking about when you say your accounts? Who, who would they be? Yeah, so that's like your PJ Tour Superstore, Dick Sporting Goods, um, even Cool Clubs and um, Club Champion and true spec, you know, these are our biggest customers and we want to make sure that, you know, we ultimately help them sell golf clubs too. So everyone has an opinion and we just want to make sure that we, we take all that information in and process it in, in such a way that's meaningful. And, and that's really what helps shape our product. And a lot of people will say that our, that our department in particular, not just me, but our entire department, we have to kind of be the voice of the golfer. You know, we have to make decisions sometimes that are, that are not necessarily rooted in, you know, data or, or, or science in some cases, we, we kind of have to have, have a good gut feeling about this product before we launch it. And, you know, guys like Bill Price on our putter uh, team, you know, he's very good at identifying when something's going to be hot. Maybe he doesn't know why it's going to be hot. You know, red's a good example. You know, when we launched our red putter to the world, you know, that was very polarizing. And there was people that were not okay with doing it, but uh, sometimes you have to take a risk and do things differently to make a make a splash in the marketplace. Is there? Can you give us an insight? Just talking about that red putter, why it was red, and, and why that was you know a thing to do. Well, it's interesting story because obviously you know you hear multiple stories about how that how that came to be, and a lot of it is feedback from Jason Day. You know, when he was getting hot and wanted something different to look at, that was one of his ideas to to paint it red, and we just kind of you know, took that idea and kind of ran with it. And then you start, you know, someone just says paint it red. Well, it's what type of red, how shiny do you want it? Do you want it matte? Do you want it gloss? Do you want a different type of red? How much metallic flake do you want in the paint? So there's all these subtle things that, you know, it's not just go grab a can of spray paint and spray paint a putter red. That's, you know, 
concept, but to make it reality, there's a lot of little things that go into making the putter um, not only perform, but it has to, you have to love what you're looking at. And we, we scrutinize every little detail. Well, it certainly helps when you put it in the hands of Jason Day and then he goes and rolls the dots off it and uh, <laughs> yeah. puts uh, every eye in the golfing globe on that putter. So um, no, it was a, it was a real, it, you know, it's one of those times that, you know, you've seen a shift in a, or a change of momentum in a, in a brand or a product line or a product. And that was certainly um, one of those. I was going to ask, um, so, you know, we move forward to the current times. And as I said at the introduction, you know, you don't have to go too many uh clicks or looks at your phone to see one of these great new products that you've obviously had uh, some influence over and working alongside the guys that have helped produce the products that you've released now or about to release in Australia very soon. So what have we got? What have we got that's new? We've got the P770. We've got the P7MC. We've got the P7MB and the new Spider uh, Putter. Yep, Spider FCG. Spider FCG. There's also uh, the TW wedges. TW wedges in a beautiful box. Yep. And we got the Sim UDI and Sim DHY. Those are driving irons. Absolutely. So So. where do you want to start when we talk about the evolution of the the new products? I'm interested to know, just for your background, you know, I worked for Mercedes-Benz for 12 years. I used to go to Germany a little bit, and I was fascinated by the, the evolution of the product design phase, how long it takes for something to become an idea and then come yep. into production. When when do you start working on, you know, this great new range of products that obviously just don't pop up overnight? When, when did it start? Well, it's always a continuation of ideas. I don't think we ever really officially start a project, if that makes any sense. We're always, we always have these ideas that are kind of locked and stored away and we're you know, how do I get the golfer to hit better shots from when their long iron ends to where their fairway would stop? Like, okay, that's a problem. How do we solve it, right? And then we kind of let these problems dictate how the product sometimes can develop in order for us to, um, you know, fix a problem that exists with golfers, right? So you'll see a lot of the things that our product development are really born out of a, a problem with the golfers. And if we want to get into like the UDI and yep. the DHY, that's a prime example of how um, there's a problem that needed to be kind of fixed uh, or answered. And that was really born with a lot of feedback from tour, a lot of feedback from just regular golfers as well. And, and how do we cater to that utility uh, market and actually have very meaningful product? So the utility market, as opposed to you know, the hybrid market, what, what do you, what do you see for the people that, you know, I get a lot of questions on a day-to-day basis that, you know, I want a hybrid or I want a utility or I'm not sure mainly, you know, I'm not sure what the difference is. You know, they, they're both designed to help my long game. How, how do you define the difference between the DHY UDI versus someone that maybe should use a hybrid? Yeah. So this is a, this is a great story. I actually love telling this one because it's something that um, I helped kind of bring to life a little bit, but the, um, if I talk hybrids, you know, you know, the word hybrid or rescue has been around forever, right? People talk about it as a iron replacement to make your long irons easier to hit. It gets you out of rough. They do a lot of things well, but you know, if you talk to every golfer out there, there's some people that say these hybrids hook too much or they're, they go too high or they're just not playable for me or they lack control. So a solution for some segment of the golfers is your answer is the hybrid or or the rescue in some section, uh, some, some segment of the golfers will tell you that, well, the hybrid doesn't work. How do we solve it for this segment? And that's where that utility space really comes in into play. And the story that I like telling, which I think is really, really good is that um, last year when we were showing our current SIM products to our tour players, right? Every year we have a athlete photo shoot. All these athletes come out and they get to experience the product for the first time. And we um, basically, it's probably my most important activity throughout the entire year is that if Tiger Woods shows up to an event and he's there to try a new product and that product isn't there, like I probably won't have a job because like his time is so valuable. Um, but I, you know, was organizing all these builds for every single tour player. So Tiger Woods, Rom, Day, Wolf, like you name it, right? All these guys are there for two days. I got 48 hours to make sure that these guys have product in their hands. And, and I'm, you know, going through the list of clubs and you kind of look at what they currently use and how you can basically predict what 
their new custom fit's going to be based off of the performance characteristics of every club. So we say, well, he's using a 10 degree now. Maybe we need to put him into a nine, maybe try a different shaft. Or So we work with our tour department. We build out all these clubs. And I got to the point during my builds where I have a bunch of rescues here. And I said, well, we typically never show our, our top tier athletes rescues. It's not a club that they typically ever play. Um, but lo and behold, I just said, you know what? Kind of screw it. Let's, let's build these guys rescues. I built Tiger Woods rescues. I built Roy McIlroy rescues. And lo and behold, these clubs were there. And they got an attention from um, McIlroy in particular, where he was able to hit shots from, you know, 245, 250 yards, and he can land them soft. And he saw value in that. He says, like, now I'm, I'm, I'm hitting shots that I couldn't hit before because I really never had an opportunity to, to use a club like this. And same thing with, with Dustin Johnson. You know, he's, he would think he's the last guy that would ever put a rescue in play because he's so powerful and can get his iron so pure. But uh, he even had two in play when he played at Harbortown and one with two hybrids in play, Colin Morikawa at the PGA, same thing. So it just goes to show you that there's an there's a influence amongst peers. When McElroy used it at the Farmers Insurance Open, and that got everyone's attention, like, well, maybe I could make maybe shed a, some of that ego and put one of these in play too and reap the benefits. So it's a pretty interesting story how athletes can influence other athletes, but then also just making sure that everyone has an opportunity to, to try that yeah, product. So I could talk all day about this, but this is one of those things where, you know, there's still a need for some of these guys to have a driving iron, to have these utilities in their bag too. And that's where I think a lot of the UDI and DHY was born that yes, we have fire with our uh, Sim Max Rescue, but that's still, you know, once again, an unexpected event still doesn't work for everybody. So I, I can get into some of the details too, if you like, about the DHY and the SIM. Well, we might as well talk about it because we, you know, it's a it's a great story. So we might as well just round that off with, you know, when you look at the the DHY and the UDI, similar but different. You know, the DHY looks like it's a, a club that's designed to you know get the make it easier to get up, but still has that yep. iron like sort of shape and and property. And then the UDI is very much what we've come to expect albeit in a new package in a tailor-made UDI. So what's the difference there? Yeah, so our common theme when developing these two products is to add versatility to the top part of the bag. You know, that rescue adds a lot of versatility, uh, but then when you get into the DHY, we know that we want a more penetrating flight. We want more iron-like performance. So you'll notice there's no bulge and roll on the face. There's no twist face. Um, it's a lower profile iron-like head. So a fantastic weapon from off the tee. So we offer that in a two, a three, a four, and a five. So a wide spectrum of players that we targeted with that DHY, that if you want someone that just wants to hit a missile off the tee, the thread needle on a narrow par four, fantastic option, but also give you that versatility from the fairway. Um, we spent a lot of time on the sole to, to add a little radius from heel to toe to make sure that if you're maybe in the first cut of rough or if you're not so good aligned the fairway, you can still get that ball up and out out of maybe some not so good of conditions. So very versatile club, very low CG, low profile face, really designed just to get the ball up. And a little tidbit on that, that a lot of people don't know about that product is that in order to keep pushing CG low, you'll notice that weight on the bottom. But mm -hmm. so there's a little trick that we did that we're not really telling anyone. You'll be one of the first guys to know about it, but the speed foam that we have inside these clubs on that particular model to keep CG low, we use a speed foam light or actually a diet speed foam is kind of the funny thing that, you know, that we've been saying inside the office, but it's an even lower density foam to make sure that every possible gram of weight, we can get as low as possible to help make that club just really easier to hit. So it's wide spectrum of golfers can play it all the way from tour players to your, you know, senior guy who plays on the weekends. So Pretty versatile club. And then you go across to the UDI, which then starts yep. to change a little bit more. Correct. You know, so UDI um, as an entire package, we wanted to, this is where I, I, I have to talk about the 790 UDI also mm. as, as some comparison, right? 790 UDI is a very one-dimensional product. It is, it is designed to hit that stinger. It is low launch, low spin, narrow sole, and to be honest with you, it's not that forgiving. It's one of those clubs where if you have enough speed, like a McElroy, or if you're a top-tier athlete, or just a fast swinger in general, fantastic club. 
Um, but it's just, we knew that we could still give similar performance, but in a more forgiving package. So the SIM UDI has a little bit wider sole, there's a little bit more chunk to the back of the club too. So we're adding some stability to the product. And ultimately we still want that low penetrating flight, but we wanted to maybe add a little bit of utility and some forgiveness to that towards not just solely your off the tee club or your super better player par five second shot club. This is the SIM UDI is really designed to be more versatile so that there's more camber from front to back. Um, it's not quite as a flat sole. Everything about it is really designed to just add a little bit more forgiveness. And a, um, a little insight about that particular product is that, you know, people will draw comparisons to Gapper with both of, the, of these clubs. And we took a lot of feedback from Gapper and ultimately to make both of, of these clubs better. So uh, we went with a half inch shorter shaft. We actually weakened the lofts, but we were able to maintain the same distance that we were getting um, with Gapper, uh, but while adding more forgiveness and versatility back to the golfer who ultimately needs it. So um, a cool story is that uh, Gapper had a prototype on tour um, where it was a bonded version uh, played by, uh, I think Fleetwood had it in play for a bit. Tiger used it at the Open a couple years ago. And it was one of those clubs where um, it found its way into the bag. And, and we knew that we were onto something there with the shape, um, but we decided to even clean it up even further. So that was really uh, the, the SIM UDI really kind of started off as kind of this uh, Skunk Works prototype on tour with Gapper and then morphed itself into now a consumer club. Uh, very much born out of the same DNA that was used by some of the best players on the planet. And you may have just seen today, as a matter of fact, that at the Northern Trust event, uh, we are building that UDI for almost every player out there. And um, we hope to have a bunch in play very, very soon. Excellent. Now, you, you touched on something there, and it sort of went back to my Mercedes um, analogy. So the evolution you know, of, of the uh, Gapper, you know, when I think was Carnoustie, I think, Tiger and co put it into yep. the plate there. So come back to the office is and and evolving this shape and coming up to where we come to today. You know, are you working with guys down in the workshop or you know whatever you call it the production facility, you know clay modeling or however you model, you know these new shapes is it is that a continuous project process where someone's always tinkering away saying, "Hey, what about this?" and "Hey Chandler, what about this?" and I've got another version. Is it sort of like that or yeah, so we're almost the ones, so our, our product creation department are the ones really driving, we're the ones saying, what about this? Yeah. Uh, down to our engineers, and we have a very fortunate, um, we have a very talented staff of engineers that could probably work in any industry they would like because they're so smart, you know, aerospace, uh, automotive industry, but they really like working in, in R&D, and we have a lot of talented people that, you know, basically it starts off in, in a computer-aided design model you know, a CAD model. And we, we generally start massaging the shape in CAD. We kind of know maybe with a driver, we want more of a pear-shaped look or we want more of a rounded look, depending on the consumer that we're targeting. Um, and then we go into 3D printing. So we'll actually 3D print um, a physical head for them, us to start scrutinizing the shape, right? So we do a shaping exercise uh, just to make sure that, you know, the club is, you know, we're, we're firm believers in love at first sight. I think any good player will tell you that when you put a club down for the very first time, you're not just looking at the ooh and ah with the shiny paint and the carbon fiber. You're you're looking at that profile, that shape, how it sets up. Is it closed or open? Do you see a ton of face or does it look like there's not enough loft? That you have to like what you're looking at in order to have confidence in what you play. And I think that's something that we take a lot of pride in and we probably over scrutinize because when you have the best players on the planet and our athletes, if they don't like what they're looking at, we're doing something wrong. And yeah. I think the fact that we can get check that box that when Tiger Woods looks down at a driver and he can put a new sim driver in play and he gives it the thumbs up, like that's something that we can all feel very proud of that, you know, arguably one of the most scrutinizing offers of equipment of all time can at least, you know, give you the thumbs up that you're doing something right. That's, that's a pretty cool thing, okay. do, but it all starts with our engineers and it starts with us for just kind of setting those design targets and performance targets. And it's just a collaborative effort with everyone. So, but it's to your point though, it is nonstop. We're always trying to find ways 
I could imagine do it a being bit better next time. I was just gonna say I could imagine being a fly on the wall, you know, standing there at the kingdom on that uh, athlete brand ambassador day when you when you've built all these products, you've spent all the time and you've got forty eight hours and you maybe you've got a couple of hours with Tiger and you hand him the new sim driver as an example, all of your co- colleagues probably stop breathing at that moment. <laughs> and it gives you the thumbs it's up. One of those moments. Yeah, it's one of those moments that you you think you might have it before you go there and yeah. then you just wait on pins and needles to make sure that he likes what he's looking at. And I think that goes really for anyone on staff, not, not just Tiger, but I think, you know, if you're playing for the bucks that these guys are, and you, you have the attention of the world. Those guys are, you know, some, some are more picky than others, but I think deep down, they all know what they like. Yeah. And it's just a matter of them articulating back. That's a part of the challenge too, is actually interpreting what they're saying because they might say something, but they're meaning something else. And, and that's what I think is actually very difficult. You have to kind of read between the lines. Like if someone says, well, make the toe look different. Well, like how and, you know, yeah. what are the things that we have to interpret to get, you know, maybe that toe shape is because of how how tall the heel is on an iron. You know, so there's all sorts of little ways to, to go about it. So you mentioned love at first sight there. And once again, I haven't seen the product uh, in my hands yet, and I look forward to doing that very soon. But uh, Love at First Sight, in an image sense, certainly has happened for a number of people when they see the images of the new irons, so the, the P770 and, and the, the visions that you've seen. Uh, there was one in, uh, Instagram post from Matt in particular that got a lot of attention. Uh, the modelling and then the prototype and then the production version yep. of the uh, P7MB. What was the steps there? You know, those three different head shapes. You know, what was that in terms of this step of production and product creation? Yeah. So first of all, I have to give Matt a ton of credit because he nailed it out of the park, you know, obviously being new to the team and I support his category with whatever he asked. And it's one of those things where um, I remember the first moment he showed me um, that wax, that 3D printed wax mold. And he goes, hey, what do you think of this? And I just remember saying to myself, like, wow, like that looks different. It looks compelling. It looks, you know, one of those things where his vision really showed through his design. And, you know, I just remember being kind of speechless when I saw it for the first time. And then, so it, it all starts off with that wax mold and we start fine tuning all the little lines and shapes. And he asked feedback around the building, myself included. And what do you think? What do you think? You know, they start asking a bunch of people. And then when we think that we've landed on a design that we like or that we think will do good in metal, we actually will then test it in concept. One of the benefits with um, our prototyping is that we can go from wax to metal very, very quickly. So we can do what we want with the wax mold and slice and dice it however we want. But then when we hand it back to the engineer, um, then he has to kind of replicate that back in CAD and then we can send it to our machine shop and they can do all sorts of great stuff and machine a blade out of a solid block of 303 stainless steel. And then in a few days, we have a club that we can actually hit and see it in person and to start analyzing, you know, because things just look different, right? Because when you start looking at plastic or wax versus metal, even though everything might be identical, it might look good, it might look really bad, but that's part of the process of understanding uh, what we need to do. So. Um, but what Matt was showing there was really that progression between initial thought, first concept prototype coming right off the machine in the CNC, and then the final product that got the stamp of approval from McElroy and everyone in the building that we just think that we landed the plane there on a really good design. It's it's timeless, and I think it's a club that I wish I could hit. I, I'm not good enough. To, I'm a two handicap, but I do think that, um, you know, I'm being realistic with my game, and I got my eyes on some 770s, but... Um, if I could play the MBs, I would. We'll we'll come and we'll talk about the seven seventies. I was just going to you know give credit where credit's due. Also to Matt, you know, wonderful job. But what a credit to to the brand and the team is that you know you, you get to see a little bit of this insight being put out from the people that are responsible for it. You know, their their names and real people who are real passionate about the the product yep. and and put their name to it and, and push it out there. And you know, it's all there for the world to see. And you know, I think it's been. Very well received. But, so you want to play P770s. A two handicap, come on, you could hit, surely you could hit whatever you want. That's what everyone says. But I've, I've, you know, they say once you get hooked on distance and forgiveness, it's definitely hard to look the other way. Um, I shouldn't even tell you what I play now, but I do play 790s. And I just, you get kind of used to, to hitting them a long way. It's nice hitting a seven iron a certain distance. It's nice, you know, if I'm going right from the, right from the trunk of my car, right to the first tee, I don't need to have, you know, 
have my pre-round warm-up. I can just kind of figure it out as I go. And I think the more I get older and, and the more as I take my golf journey along with me that I started, I just really appreciate the fact that I put my ego aside and I'm just going to take all the help I can get because why not? The game's already hard enough for me. No, well, I, I agree. And, you know, I know, you know, when you talk about speaking to accounts and people who are talking to the people who are putting it into play, I'm one of those guys, as you know, and, you know, that concept very much resonates with the, the end user. It, it seems so obvious when we saw P770 for the first time that that would be a natural progression for, you know, someone who wants that distance but likes that better player's shape. Is that a fair way to sum up, you know, what P770 is overarching trying to do? A little bit more better player but still give that support, distance forgiveness? I, I would like to think that that club was designed for me. Yeah. <laughs> because that that's exactly what I'm looking for is that, you know, if you look at my early golf career, I, I was swinging a lot faster and I hit the ball a lot better. But now it's, you know, like I said, when you don't have the opportunity to spend two, three hours a day grinding on your game, you lose that little touch. And um, 770 for me is going to give me all that distance that I want or that I get now with 790. But now I'm going to have that ability to just get even more comfortable at address, see that little smaller shape, maybe get a little bit better turf interaction with that narrower sole. Um, you know, and ultimately just feel better about it because I think there's a certain um, confidence that you get when you when you like what you're looking at. You're just going to swing it that much better, and I truly believe that. I'm going to take all the help I can get. I've definitely come to that realization that I'm going to do it, but if you can make me look better than I am, then that's even, <laughs> even better too. So. so key spec takeouts from the 770? Okay, so, you know, one of the targets that, that we sent out or that, that we set out was that we wanted to maintain a distance that we have with 790. So we checked that box, right? So we have a forged, uh, so really the same construction that you have in 790. You got that forged wraparound L-face. You have your through slot speed pocket. Um, but because now we're dealing with a smaller head size and we're not so distance oriented that we want to maintain some playability too, we really wanted to stabilize this club as best that we could. So we actually have almost, I think, 48 grams of tungsten embedded in the toe inside that cavity. So it's a hollow speed foam filled cavity on the entire set. And there's just a ton of tungsten out there in the toe. So really giving you that stability that you need when you hit one less than perfect. And ultimately that's gonna help you maintain ball speed. Um, one of the other things too, that I think often goes overlooked that I'm super passionate about is our Inverted cone, you know, we've talked about that forever. Mm. Everyone knows what that means, but we have a progressive inverted cone, meaning that this is something that I think is really fascinating um, that as the club gets longer and, and an iron shape, right? An iron shape is very asymmetric. The toe is taller than the heel. And when we start talking about face deflection, now these faces are so fast and generating so much ball speed what happens is that when you when you're dealing with a shape that's asymmetric or you know just different the toe side of the club is actually going to flex more than the heel and what that and what happens is that now your long irons where their face is really flexing and the shape is even more different those shots will tend to go to the right and then your short irons that don't flex as much will tend to go to the left so now we can actually use that progressive inverted cone and every single club throughout the set has a slightly different location. And that will actually help us bring that dispersion back um, to neutral across the entire set. So now you're dealing with a club that whether you're hitting an eight iron or a four iron, you're going to get the same shot shape because we're tuning the face deflection with that progressive inverted cone. It's a really cool technology that doesn't get a lot of credit. But um, if you don't have it, you're definitely going to be dealing with, well, now my long iron's still right and my short irons go left and we, and we wanted to fix that. And that's what did it. So really cool technology there. That's on 790 and 770. Anything else on 770 that, that we need to, you know, we, we're not going to do justice and talk about every product uh, in its yeah. full entirety because we'll, we'll be here all day. But uh, is there anything yeah. else that we need to cover off? Cause I think that's, you know, if 790 was one of the uh, success stories for the brand and for the industry over the last uh, couple of years, you know, I think this is going to, you know, equal equal that. I'll, I'll wait and see uh, how the customers vote with their feet. But um, you know, are there any other you know key takeaways that you would want someone to say? Right, you need to know about this as well. You need to look for this, and this is a reason why. Yeah, and I and I think what that one key thing is is that we spent so much time 
scrutinizing the shape of the product from the address view is that it might look pretty on the rack. It might look really great in your bag, but when you look down at it, going back to that same mindset of that, it has to look good when you look down at it. We spent a ton of time on, on the shaping of these products. And I think we nailed it this time that every club throughout the set, this looks the part and it looks like it's, it's meant for a purpose and it just looks absolutely stunning. And then just to add one more little thing there too, is that not only do these look good, but that the fact that they're so forgiving for the size, I think is something that, you know, yes, it's cool to talk about distance and that I can hit a seven iron a particular yardage. But the fact that you can just slap one off the toe and still get up to the front of the green, or you can, you know, hit that less than perfect golf shot and still have a putt for birdie. To me, that is the one thing that you've got, like the size does not do the forgiveness justice yeah. because it just doesn't look like it would be that forgiving, but it is. Well, I can't wait to see it. As I say, I haven't seen it yet. And yeah, I'm just like yourself. I'm saying, well, not like yourself, but uh, like many of us seeing, you know, some of the people that have got it in their hands, Rick Shields and that sort of uh, level of yep. influencer and, you know, the reviews speak for themselves. Now, when we get into the, the next category of iron, the MC and the MB, yep. for me, as soon as I saw the MC, you know, my mind was cast back to my first set of tailor-made irons back in 2002 or three. I can't remember the time, but I, I was, I reckon, I believe that I was one of the first people in Australia to have a set of the rack TP combos that they, they yep, I remember those the combo the combo set was a, a relatively new thing back then and and I don't think it was very well adopted back then but I, I really saw the value in having this combo type setup and the rack uh, the, the the cavity part of that combo set just I look at those MCs and I go oh wow you know they they look there's such a family and a familiar look and they look beautiful yeah, there's, there's definitely some heritage DNA in the MC, and I think that um, the design team and, and Matt that like really spent a lot of time, you know, by no means was this a throwback club. Mm -hmm. It had to be its own thing, but you can see there's some subtle cues in there with how the toe shape is on the back bar, um, those forged lines in the back. Yep. Um, everything just looks the part, and I think it just flows. So, you know, there's beauty and simplicity, and I think that uh, they nailed it out of the park this time where, when you look at like when you look at it from the back, that there isn't just a bunch of bells and whistles. There's not a lot of, you know, badging or or shiny things. It's just, you know, this is pure forged, 1025 carbon steel. We're gonna make it look good on the back, but this is all business. And I think even down to the details of that little tailor made logo in the toe, that T that you see there being done just a little bit differently, it's just a a, a subtle nod at. Um, there's some heritage DNA in there for sure, but this is, this is all business. And to your point that you brought up, you know, Rick Shields that he's, you know, been a, I think he's played all sorts of irons over yeah. his, his career, but I think this is the first tailor-made set that he's gained in a long, long time. And I think a part of the reason that he likes it so much, I'm not speaking for him, but if I'm assuming, I think there's a part of it is that fact that it is so clean and simple, just inspires confidence. I think there's a, there's a big benefit of that. Just not overdoing it. 1025 carbon steel. So do you, do you, is there a choice between different steels? Do you, do you sit there and make prototypes out of the different types of steels that are available for forgings and go, you know, let's try the 1025 or let's try the, you know, and I can't think of the other types of steel and grades and categories off the top of my head. You'll, you yep. can fill us in, but do you do that? Yeah, we do. And I think what 1025 is, is that we know that it is the, the proper strength to withstand just day-to-day -day use, you know, there's other mild steels that are so soft that it, yes, it might feel good, but then you're going to have to get your lofts and lies checked all the time. So there's, there's definitely a blend of, you know, durability and performance and, and 1025 is proven. It feels good. And it also is going to lead into the uh, uh, compact grain forging technique that we use to actually make the MB and the MC is that we have that 2000 ton press. I actually wish I had a part here to show you, but um, what's really cool about it is that, you know, starts off as bar stock material and gets heated and bent and heated and start, the, you know, we start that forging process. And the tighter that we can make that grain structure, the better the feeling of the product. And you get that consistency across the entire head. And I, I think that um, what we really are, are learning and benefiting from is that um, even all the little details in, in the back of the head, you know, like you see in the cavity of the MC, all those little lines. Mm -hmm. On the 750, 
um, which was kind of the predecessor of the VMC, um, all those machine, uh, all those lines were actually machined in by CNC. Now, since we're using that uh, 2000 ton press or that final step at the end, it allows us to actually forge in even those subtle details into the head without having to uh, get crazy, you know, machine time to actually machine all those things in there. And we did that for face thickness back then, but now um, we don't really need to go through all those steps and to have that um, that feeling, that better feeling product that we all want. And forging and using those particular types of metal, um, you know, I'll, I, I kind of ultimately leave that up to the engineers to figure out what to use, but they're the ones that uh, ultimately tell us that, you know, 1025 is that proven material that's just really hard to go wrong with. In terms of, you know, like a set makeup in, in shape, is, is there a lot of difference in the overall shape from the MC to the MB? Yeah, so you start off with a longer blade length, first of all. It's a little bit longer blade. Um, dealing with that cavity that you have in the back with the MC, you're dealing with more forgiveness. You are, um, you know, just redistributing the mass in, in locations that give us the flight and spin characteristics that we're ultimately targeting. And those characteristics are really driven by our tour players. So we knew what worked with 750 and we didn't want to actually change the horizontal or vertical CG location for these products. We wanted to kind of match exactly what we had because we knew, I mean, we got the number one player in the world when, you know, John Rahm, you know, I know it's been kind of hopping around a little bit here, but um, you know, he loves his 750s and we knew that we didn't want to tweak that recipe too much because it just absolutely works and provides the results that we're ultimately looking for, but we knew that we can make the product feel better. And I, that was the key thing that we were targeting. We got the launch, we got the spin, we got the turf interaction. So we're checking all these boxes. We got our new forging technique, which it gives us that, that better feeling product, but we changed the back bar of the club a little bit on the MC to give us that, that more solid feel um, that the better player is really looking for that that solid, crisp, kind of buttery feel that it's, it's, it's almost hard to describe because like, I think, you know, as a good golfer, like that feeling that you get when you get one, right. Mm. I, I want that golfer to feel that more often. So it, by just tweaking that back bar geometry enough, gives us that better feeling and better sounding product as well. So it sounds an important thing in golf club uh, design. <laughs> Absolutely. Sound is, I mean, I couldn't stress, sound enough because I think very much like some technologies, it often gets overlooked, but we spend countless hours to make sure our products sound and feel that the way that they should. And there's this old narrative that sound is feel. What you hear is what you feel. And if you hear something that's loud and clacky, you associate that sound with firm and vibration, right? When you hear something more muted, you associate that sound with softer and more solid feeling. So there's a delicate balance of getting that sound just right, especially with metalwood technology and irons like our Sim Max and Sim Max OS. We spend a ton of time on just dialing in that sound because one of the things that I don't want is you to hit a good golf shot and question your shot because it didn't sound right. Yeah. I'm not going to name competitors, but there's definitely clubs that perform well, but sound poorly. And I think there's often a disconnect is that I want your results to be as good as it sounded and felt. So I think those, those, those things have to work in harmony and we take sound extremely serious. So how good do the uh, P7MB sound and feel? Well, knowing that I can't give them the proper strike that is necessary. <laughs> no, it's, it's definitely one of those things where um, getting the feedback from those players and knowing that they approve of the sound and feel that, you know, maybe I'm not as good enough to hit it as to give the proper strike on those golf balls that, warrant experiencing that sound but i think that when you got roy mcelroy who can pick up a set and now put them in play charlie hole for example in the uk you know they are playing these clubs knowing that they just you know if they don't sound good they're going to tell you mm. and if they tell you that they don't sound good they're not going to play them so the fact that we're already getting these in play is, is a good sign so is the the sort of concept that a blade is a blade is a blade sort of have you blown that out of the water that you know, every blade is just not a blade and this blade is the blade of blades <laughs> yes i would say that the old that that narrative of you know it's just a, a forged piece of metal they all kind of do the same thing they all kind of sound the same yeah there's a certain truth to that um but when you start diving into all the little details that make 
these clubs perform the way they do, by no means are all blades blades alike. Um, you know, using our uh, computer simulation to actually predict how these irons will sound based off a of deflection, based off of the vibrations that the the back bar geometry can actually give of a product, and how thin the construction is. You know, seven thirty um, had kind of more of a split mass design where. This new one is, is more seamless from top to bottom. And I think that the sound is now improved year over year because now that we have that mass where we want it and we can kind of control um, how these clubs sound and every little detail matters. You know, yes, I think at, at first glance, oh yeah, all blades are the same, but the fact that it's so far from the truth that, you know, how you heat treat the metal, how you forge the metal, how um, the club is shaped, how the geometry is all play an important role with how a club feels and sounds. And I think that, you know, that's where I think we start, our department really has a, a, a good ear, ear for that. And we just know kind of what to do there. And we, we steer the ship a little bit and make sure that we're doing the right thing and, and not just falling into that narrative of, I'll just throw a different logo on the back. That's it all the same. Cause like, if you had a tiger P7 PW versus the P7 MB, you'll have a completely different experience just because of how the club is shaped. Yeah. I mean, they're both going to feel good, but there's, there's definitely differences. You know, if you had the seven iron of both side by side, you know, what, and you have seen a P7 TW, what are you, what are you going to notice as one of the differences, the key difference? Well, you know, Tiger going back when he helped develop the P7 TWs, you know, there's that little tungsten piece in the back of the, of the, the club there. And he actually wants a, a firmer feel and he actually wants to get more feedback with his clubs. Um, I, I can't say that I've experienced it myself personally, but based off the, of the anecdotes that I hear from better players is that um, that the TWs will feel just a little bit firmer than the MPs. Mm-hmm. That's, that's a general narrative that you get, but then you hear some people say that they both feel the same. So it's very subjective. Shape wise is the, the, the blade shape or the head shape, different is the is the mb shorter or is you know like tiger's blade a little bit longer or what one of the two well um tiger's is, is a whole another animal right yeah. so it's definitely one of those clubs that you know it's it's his shape doesn't necessarily progress you know from the pitching wedge to the three iron in a very logical yep. manner the way tiger developed his clubs that he looks at a pitching wedge and that yep i like the way that looks great give me the dime make this a little bit different and that necessarily doesn't fall in line with a, a natural progression yeah, okay. from club to club. So, so the shapes are, are very different. Yep. Whereas the MB is very progressive in that in that um, every club is designed to work together as a set. Um, everything from the the sole width consistency to the longer blade length. Now, I think it's 1.4 millimeters longer uh, than the uh, 730. So we actually went to a little bit longer blade length with mm-hmm. the MB. Um, and that was feedback actually from Dustin Johnson that he actually preferred that little longer blade. And I think for him is that a, he liked to look at it and B, as a result from that longer blade, you do gain a little bit of stability and maybe just a little bit easier uh, go at it, even though that, you know, very minute difference, but it's definitely a thing that, you know, the top tier athletes will pick up on that a little bit longer heel to toe and just having that consistency from club to club. I noticed in the uh, spec that they've got combination sets um, specs, you know, pretty much well already defined. So if you do want to combo yeah. the MC and the MB, so that's obviously a thing that you're expecting to have to do and, and happen at the consumer end. Correct. Yeah. So that little combo guide, um, actually, funny enough, I'm, I'm the one who created that combo guide, and it was one of those things where you know, if you look at our entire P series family from the the P7MB all the way to your 790 tie. And there's a lot of just endless combinations mm. of how you could do that. And I think, how do we simplify that? How, how do we narrow it down to what the consumer is really looking for? And here at TaylorMade, that we're definitely taking a stance at um, ultimately what we are targeting is that generally whenever you combo anything, you're generally adding in forgiveness, right? So if you look like a game improvement golfer, you know, he's adding in a couple rescues for forgiveness. He wants it a, a little easier to hit. That same narrative applies to Roy McIlroy when he's adding in maybe an MC long iron with his MB other irons, right? So there's definitely, they're looking for just a little bit of forgiveness. So we took that forgiveness um, kind of mindset 
and applied it all the way down to, in the four different levels. So you got forgiveness level one, two, three, and four. And basically what we're doing there is that we're telling the golfer how to adjust the lofts um, in order to maintain proper gapping, but while also making the club more forgiving. So loft is generally most people's friends. So we opted to go the route that we went with the longer irons, generally speaking, a little bit weaker to match the weaker. So like if you're going 770 long irons and P7MC short irons, we weakened the long irons and not strengthened the short to add it a little bit of extra forgiveness to the top end of the bag. Yep. So generally that's what people are trying to get. So tried to narrow it down from endless combinations to just kind of that sweet 16 per se, and uh, just you know, help guide the customer. And I think it's a really good tool for people to, to use and have a conversation with their fitter about what's right for them. Oh, it's certainly going to make it um, a far simpler process because you know, as I said before, you know, I, I was an early adopter of a combo set back in the early 2000s, and I'm a massive advocate advocate for it for a lot of a lot of golfers. It does suit a lot of golfers, but there's always been, you know, in a lot of circumstances, those times where you know the the fit between the two, what you're comboing, there's just a bit of a gap there, and you know, one yeah. doesn't suit being tweaked one way or the other way, and you know, it just so that little um opportunity to do that and that it's been designed to do that um, is a big tick in the box from someone like uh, myself. So well done for you to creating uh, that little uh, <laughs> process and guide. So, yeah, um, you know, I, it, it was definitely one of those things where we knew that these clubs look really good together. And a long, long time ago, we saw these clubs all together for the first time. And we said, man, these things look good together. People are going to want to combo these. So yeah. Chandler, go figure out how to make that happen. So, that's what happened. I uh, back in the days when demo clubs were six irons. So I had the the rack MB combos, as I said. I went and bought a six in the rack blade, so I could swap in and out because I just wanted that blade at that six iron length as well. So perfect. Yeah. You can have that now. You can you can choose what you yeah. want now. Exactly. You know, just the fact that we narrowed it down just a touch, I think, will help people kind of land the ship a little bit and not get so overwhelmed with their decision. Yeah. So the wedges, Tiger, the TW mill grind wedges. Yep. Special box. What's what's behind all of that? Yeah. So so I hate to burst your bubble, but those are already sold out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so well, well, the uh, special we, edition box deal are, are sold out, but uh, we will, we are getting some in Australia. Offering. We we're getting some in Australia. We will have some down here. Don't worry, people. Perfect. Yeah. <laughs> I hope. I hope. Um, sorry, sold out for for the U.S. only. There, yep. there we go. Forgot about that part. Um, but it's definitely one of those things where it was designed, you know, very much like his irons, Tiger's irons, that he was very in tune with, as you know, he's very in tune with the short game and hits all sorts of golf shots. And I think it's one of those things where, you know, this is very a tour validated grind that works for Tiger. Um, and it's a very unique grind, the fact that a, a lot of what he does with the wedge um, he doesn't want to change how he hits based off of the conditions that he's playing. So it's actually, you know, you'll talk to some people where they have different wedges for different conditions. Um, he's very much, I don't really want to change what I'm using um, because I know it works and I'll adapt to the conditions. So it's a very much a, a grind that, as you can see, has a lot of leading edge bounce. There's a lot of heel relief. So you can play this thing square from tight lies. Um, you can open it up out of the rough and get some fantastic flop shots out of it. Very versatile wedge. Um, is it for everyone? No, but I do think it's one of those things where um, it's very important to know that, hey, it's worth a try. Have a conversation with one of your fitters because I think um, it's very versatile. And I think it's one of those things that has caught the attention of John Rahm. You know, um, he even has one in play that is a tiger grind that I think um, people can find, find some versatility in their short game, if that's kind of what's right for them. So. Well, it's certainly something that's opened up, uh, you know, understanding of bounce and, you know, all of the combinations that yourselves and, and the other manufacturers uh, do make. So how do, I think it's an asset to have that additional, you know, bounce and grind in the portfolio of, of mill grind uh, wedges. So, yeah, well done on that. And what about the putter? I'm conscious of your time. Uh, what about the, the new putter series? I could talk all night and you can, you can ask me any questions you want. So I got nowhere to go. So um, basically the, the spider FCG is a very interesting putter. And I think it's one of those putters that might be a little, you know, it's not super intuitive when you first hear about it. Like, why would I want a forward CG Mavit? 
Um, but then when you start learning about stroke dynamics, you start learning how people swing the putter, right? And by where the center of gravity is actually located will actually work with some strokes better than others, right? You'll notice say a blade style putter, you know, um, like our Soto or any sort of forward CG blade style putter, they tend to to want to swing from open to close, right? That's a very, that's a result of that CG location. When you start pushing or pulling that CG as far back from the face as possible, that rotation starts to slow down. And there are some players who um, one of those two combinations don't work. You have that very back CG putter, but you're trying to flow the toe mm-hmm. a little bit. No, that's not going to work. Generally, what happens is that if you're missing your putts to the right with a back CG putter, you probably need a little bit more face closure. And someone like myself, who if I use a blade putter, I tend to pull my putts to the left because the face is now closing too quickly. So it's really an, another option for people to um, to find a putter that fits their stroke and also their eye. And the benefit of this is that you see that canopy underneath and we've extended the top part of the putter because there's no uh, doubt that when you have a putter that is easier to align, you're gonna make more putts. You can get that ball started on your start line where you want it. But now if you can have a putter that will actually match your stroke and that you have the benefits of aligning the putter properly. I think it's a really cool concept that can fit a ton of golfers who maybe want the alignment benefits or that stability that comes with spider, but maybe not quite all the way there. Hmm. And I think when you look at players on tour, you know, there's, there's a lot of options out there that, you know, DJ, he, he bounces around all the time between putters. He's one with a truss. He's one with a spider. He's one with a Soto. Um, and I think actually this might be a good opportunity for him to to find a putter that works with his stroke because he does bounce around between a high MOI mallet and a low MOI forward CG blade. So this is a, might be a good fit for him. Or even someone like Tiger, you know, cro- uh, fingers crossed, if, if he ever wanted to play it, this would actually fit his stroke very nice. And the fact that he could have the benefits of the additional alignment on top with that true path alignment, I think is going to be something that could be in the hands of a lot of world-class golfers and amateurs alike. It's definitely worth a try. And there's a ton of stability too. There's a, there's a copper face. Uh, it's, I think it's 32 grams of copper right up in the front. You have all this mass heel and toe. So there is still very good stability in this putter. This is not a uh, unforgiving putter by any means. It's still very much a spider, um, but this really that different CG location to fit your stroke. And the face technology that's maintained, isn't it? Yeah, so we still use our pure roll patented technology. Yep. And what that does is that, you know, ultimately gets the ball rolling sooner than later. And when you, um, I truly believe if if you can basically reduce as much skidding as possible, you can make it easier to keep that ball online and to have more opportunities to make more putts. And one of the things that often gets overlooked when you're talking about a roll technology or face technology like, um, uh, pure roll is that when the ball is rolling end over end as it should, you know, when the ball does enter in pure roll, it is less likely to get bumped off by a spike mark or a, a not properly fixed divot that when it's rolling end over end, it's now can track over these, these bumps and hopefully find its way into the hole. Is it guaranteed to make you make more putts? No, but it's going to give you more opportunity to do that. And I think it's, it's, it's a technology that I think um, I won't use without because I've, I've definitely seen the benefits firsthand and the fact that our, you know, top guys use it and validates it for us. It's kind of goes without saying, but get that ball rolling sooner because it'll stay in line. Yeah. It certainly makes it uh, an easy way to describe it to a, to a client that rolling and that tracking of the ball rolling end over end purely uh, it may not make you a ton of more putts, but if it's making you one more putt around, you know, where your ball doesn't get deviated or two more putts or three more putts, you know, like that's the sort of differences that, you know, can make a difference over three or four rounds in a month, you know, one, two, three putts every couple of rounds. That's, you know, especially as you go up the scale, that's a, it's a big difference. That's shooting a 79 and 780. And we know that sounds a heck of a lot better. Give me a 79 any day. If we can talk about shafts for a moment, can we go back to shafts? Yeah. Because it's, it's something I noticed that the 
the custom options have expanded a little. I'm more in, interested in that how you go about selecting shaft suitability. So you've got a product that you're going to bring and it's going to sit on a shelf and it's got a shaft in yep. there as the, the standard. Let's say. What's the process of doing and deciding on that? Because shaftology, as I sort of term it sometimes, Lucy, you know, every, everyone's an expert and everyone's got their own ideas and it's an area yep. that's grown, you know, like the days of where it was Dynamic Gold S300 or Bust, you know, it's changed, yeah. right? So yep. now everyone's got an opinion and this, that and the other. How do you guys sort of determine that and filter it all down? Well, it's a fantastic question, and I'm really glad that you asked it because, A, the custom market as a whole is expanding, right? So more people are buying custom clubs more than ever. People are being very mindful of what they purchase. And one of the things that we do is that when you walk up to a rack, you know, yes, there is going to be that kind of sex appeal when you see the whole club in harmony where you got all the colors matching together. That's one thing. Cool. Yes, it looks good. But it ultimately has to perform. And the products, the shafts that we choose to use on our products have to check the box in terms of performance. So um, we have our own basically standardized testing and these protocols that we do in order to validate the performance that we're getting. So with whatever shaft that we decide, whether it be an iron, a wedge, or even a putter, or even a driver, that we have to check the box in terms of performance. Because if we're losing yardage or we're adding spin or the shaft goes more left or that shaft goes more right, whatever the case may be, um, we basically validate it by real-world player testing, and we validate it by robot as well. So it's one of those things where, you know, it has to look good, yes, and B, um, it definitely has to check the boxes in terms of is the is the weight right for the target consumer, right? So good example. If you look at our three drivers from Sim, Sim Max, and Sim Max D, they have very different shafts because the target consumer for that driver very different. You know, you're not going to put a 70 gram X in a draw bias driver. And I'm not going to put a 45 gram driver shaft in our sim. So, you know, knowing the target audience helps us kind of narrow the scope down a little bit, validate the performance. And does it, does the, does it work? You know, it's just one of those things where it all has to, it all has to work together to be kind of this harmonious uh, choice that we all decide. So, but yeah, definitely something that we don't think lightly. Even the grip too gets heavily scrutinized because yep. that's a very uh, tactile, you know, you pick up the club and some people can get off put by a grip instantly and not even really give the driver or the iron or wedge um, any sort of credit, even if they don't like the feel of it. Ah, they put that back in the rack because it didn't feel good. So every component is very important. On that product launch day with your athletes, you know, you, and you've built the clubs for them to put in their hands, you know, they've all got their, you know, what comes first for them? Is it the shaft preference? You know, Tiger's shaft is that one and Rory's shaft is that one. So, you know, build it around and, and then build it around that, yeah? Yeah, so we generally know what they like. So when we're building product for those players, they know they like a particular weight or a particular profile. And obviously we work with the OEM manufacturers like Mitsubishi and Fujikura and those guys to help us determine what's going to be right. If in fact that they want to change. Some of these guys just know what they like and they don't change. Yeah. And John Rahm's a good example of that. He's still playing, I think an Aldola um, tour green 75 TX that he's just been using for a long time. He knows what he likes and he just kind of sticks with it. So for us, that's really easy. We just know um, that combination is going to work. However, but when you start talking about uh, club characteristics and how, this year's driver performs differently from that year's driver. And we might have to tweak the shaft a little bit or change even the swing weight, um, mm. whatever the case may be. But, you know, it's, it's very rarely plug and play. And there's always this, uh, some fine tuning. That's where the reps like Trotty and uh, Keith Sabarbero and those guys really play an important role is that we get it in their hands, but it's their job to kind of keep it in their hands and yeah. make sure that they're happy with the product. Another example of uh, one of the uh, head office guys who has got a, a reasonable profile out there and does, you know, what, what I think is a great job uh, promoting the brand is uh, Trotty. You know, he's even got his own sticker. Goodness gracious. Yeah. <laughs> he's a character for sure, but he's, 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 he's definitely an expert and knows exactly what he's doing. Yeah. Every move that he makes is very strategic. And I think it's, uh, he definitely has his uh, Instagram following and, uh, he knows exactly what he's doing, but you know his job is really to work with those key players from a day, uh, week in and week out, and make sure that we're making those proper decisions to keep these guys in our clubs and keep everyone happy. 
Well, he's doing a fantastic job because you don't have to look uh, you know, too far down the, PG, uh, the PGA uh, results the other week there and it was just a, a great ad for the brand and uh, a great ad for the young Colin Morikawa who is um, obviously a brand okay. ambassador and what a player. So uh, he's obviously doing doing a good job in, in that but that was um, you know great timing. You know, release a new product. The, yep. the, the, the leaderboard stacked with your athletes and, you know, the future star of the game goes out and just, uh, you know, plays a blinder and wins uh, his first major. So it was fantastic. Yeah, that was one of the best majors in, in a long time with that stacked leaderboard. You didn't know what was going to happen. You had Wolf coming down the line too. He was making a run. He had one little bobble there towards the end. But, um, man, just to see that leaderboard the way it was and you didn't want to even walk away for even a split second just kind of wondering what was going to happen next. Yeah, no, it was awesome. It was, yeah, it, was, it, was it was great for a, a nation or a globe of golfers that have been starved of major golf action to to have that as the the reintroduction of of uh, major golf. And I'm looking forward to the U.S. Open and the Masters. No Open this year, but anyway, we'll get back there. Chandler, I think we can just package this up as the masterclass on TaylorMade Products 2020, and I think uh, it will be one of the most patronised uh, episodes that we'll put out there. So I really do appreciate your time. And, you know, as you said, we could talk about this all day and, you know, there are a number of things that we probably skimmed across, but, you know, the information out there that the guys at uh, your head office have put out there is substantial. The guys like myself and wherever you go and choose to talk to you, uh, people about your clubs, they'll have all the information uh, very shortly. And uh, I think, uh, you know, you're in for a great time. Yeah, thank you so much. And, you know, and just to add one more thing before we wrap things up here, I, I just want you to know that, you know, TaylorMade as a brand, we are just a, a core group of golfers who have one mission, and then that is just to make everyone play better, whether you're the best in the world or you're just new to the game. Um, we just want everyone to have an opportunity to play and to do it the right way. So definitely appreciate your time here, Ross. Thank you very much for joining us, mate. Really do appreciate it. Look forward to staying in touch and looking for more of your great work. And uh, once again, thank you to you. Thank you to TaylorMade for uh, letting you come on and talk to me on this little podcast down here in Australia, mate. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Appreciate it.